Hello. I hope everyone is doing fine. Um. So. Thanks for uh, anybody who's watching. Thank you for watching. This um, is something new that I'm starting, but I've been wanting to uh, do this for a long time, but I just never had the chance or the motivation to do that. Uh, I wanted. I really, really love the Silmarillion. Uh, I have read it many times. Uh, followed uh, famous uh, Tolkien professors. Uh, podcast on it as well and the Silmarillion seminar and but I've been meaning to reread the Silmarillion and I just thought it might be nice to um, just uh, have a read along and maybe discuss something that I understand from it I am not a Tolkien scholar by any means or not even a little bit I am a, however a fan and this is mostly it's gonna be I don't think you'll uh, find anything groundbreaking in my uh, in these videos that I'll make uh, but it will be from uh, from my perspective what I understand and what I enjoy about it and some uh, two cents that I have on it so <clears throat> uh, let's go let's start it the, today I'm gonna be covering um, Ainu Lindale, which is the music of the Valar, or the music of the Ainur. So about Ainur, uh, Ainur is both. It is um, it's Valar and it's Maiar. Uh, the difference between the Valar and Maiar, um, it is stated that the Malar are more powerful and the Maiar are a little less powerful than Maya than the Valar but but then you see that even amongst the Valar there are different tiers like Melkor is um, the most powerful of them all and then uh, the Manve is uh, a little less powerful than him but in like combat Tokas can take on Melkor so it's not really clear that, or I don't think uh, we can really say that all Maiar are just like less powerful than all Valar, um, because we don't know, and we never told. Their power works really differently. In some aspects, uh, one Valar might be more powerful than a Maya, but in other instances, in uh, in other things, he might not be. Um, so. The music of the Ainur. There was Eru, the one, who in Arda is called Iluvatar, and he made first the Ainur, the holy ones, that were the offspring of his thought, and they were with him before aught else was made, and he spoke to them, propounding to them themes of music, and they sang before him, and he was glad. So uh, right from the start, this is how the Silmarillion starts, the music of the Ainur. You can see a little similarity and a kind of a little contrast as well uh, um, from the Bible. Um, Bible starts with, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, while 
this one starts like there was Eru, the one who in Arda is called Iluvatar. Uh, so it's an interesting little point there that uh, it could have started by in the beginning there was Eru, but it just starts off there was Eru, and which kind of um, seems like an interesting distinction because if you say in the beginning um, that means uh, there is there was a beginning and it's not timeless and um, like time has meaning there at least that's how the Bible starts but um, how the Silmarillion starts there was Eru there was Eru the one so interesting uh, contrast that we have one more thing I want to talk about was the name Eru um, I believe Eru is what the Ainur used to call him because I guess uh, it was even before Arda was made um, and it, only in Arda he's called Iluvatar while when well before that I guess his real name if quote-unquote real name is Eru which is uh, interesting so Ainur music of the Ainur okay let's continue a little bit but for a long while they sang only each alone or but a few together while the rest hearkened for each comprehended only that part of the mind of Uluvatar from which he came and in the understanding of their brethren they grew but slowly yet ever as they listened they became the deeper understanding and increased in unison and harmony it is interesting isn't it um, the the music is really really emphasized the music of the Ainur and like music creates things and brings them into being um, so that is interesting we shouldn't linger too much because this is a big book we have we should continue um, so another really important passage uh, from the music of the Ainu that really uh, captured me a little bit uh, it was the uh, where uh, I think it's used as metaphors but it's really interesting the language used and the words used to describe the voices of the Ainu the passage goes then the voices of the Ainur, like unto harps and lutes and pipes and trumpets and vials and organs, and like unto countless choirs singing with words, began to fashion the theme of Iluvatar to a great music, and a sound arose of endless interchanging melodies woven in harmony that passed beyond hearing into the depths and into the heights, and the places of the dwelling of Iluvatar were filled to overflowing. And the music and the echo of the music went out into the void, and it was not void. Never since have the Ainur made any music like to this music, though it has been said 
that a greater still shall be made before Iluvatar by the choirs of the Ainu and the children of Iluvatar after the end of the day. Uh, so uh, really interesting how um, because uh, I think in the Tolkien lore, um, Silmarillion is what the elves who went to Valinor learned from the Valar and the Maiar and they wrote it down and then passed it on to men or hobbits uh, and then it comes to us this text so it's like it's not first-hand account it's um, it's translated probably the Valar taught the elves in one language then it had to be translated and uh, the, the the later person who was translating it used uh, uh, what he understood uh, what was actually meant uh, by these sounds because I don't believe in their voices were like uh, singing like harps and lutes and pipes and trumpets because uh, I guess with only with those harps and lutes and only with these voices these sounds that we know only that's how the uh, the translator who was translating this text that is how he could understand that and that is how he made sense of it or knew like like what it was. Going a little further, uh, another interesting parallel uh, reading this first chapter is the similarities you see between uh, Melkor and and, the, uh, and Lucifer from uh, from the Bible. The story of Lucifer we all know. Uh, a fallen angel who got too greedy and just wanted to defy uh, the Lord while uh, Melkor, Melkor also began the same way his career by uh, singing his own he wanted to have a solo he was like I'm not getting enough uh, face time I need to I need some some more verses he was he wasn't feeling uh, creatively satisfied because all that creativity which was inside him and all that really really creative music and ideas he had he wasn't uh, getting full to fulfill that by by just being part of this large group of I knew uh, singing along together and he was just wasn't feeling satisfied so he wanted a solo and began interrupting the music. Um, but it is interesting, uh, Melker was given the most amount of power from out of all the, all the other Ainu, but the thing is, I guess uh, the old dialogue with great power comes great responsibility seems a little uh, juvenile and ridiculous to uh, say or call here but it kind of makes sense that there was great power in him and but still he chose to he chose to use it in a wrong way but the right and wrong is really interesting and the questions that come to my mind is like we will see in a later passage and that I'll um, I'll discuss it a little more um, but keep 
this in mind that Melkor just wanted a solo and he wasn't happy singing along with his brothers and sisters. And the really important passage uh, that I read was really interesting. When Melkor started doing his solo and then there was like Iluvatar singing and uh, Melkor singing against him and there was like a battle of bands going on, Team Iluvatar versus Team Melkor. Um, and then this passage. Then Iluvatar spoke and he said, Mighty are the Ainur and mightiest among them is Melkor. But that he may know, and all the Ainur, that I am Iluvatar, those things that ye have sung, I will show them forth, that ye may see what ye have done. And thou, Melkor, shalt see that no theme may be played, that hath not its uttermost source in me, nor can any alter the music of my despite. Sorry, nor can any alter the music in my despite, for he that attempteth this shall prove but mine instrument in the devising of things more wonderful which he himself hath not imagined. This passage is so important because with all this solo singing that Melkor is doing and is disrupting everyone else in their singing, um, but Iluvatar here brings in an interesting concept of he says like you can sing whatever you can do whatever but just know that whatever you'll do you'll be just fulfilling my vision anyways which is fascinating concept about predestination eru being the all-knowing all-seeing is already telling him you can do sing whatever but just know that Whatever you'll sing and do, it will only be aiding my design. It will be fulfilling my vision. And it will just make things even more wonderful over how I intended them to be. And you're just playing your part. It is interesting how free will predestination kind of comes in this uh, story. Like it is um, a concept in the Bible uh, as well. Because, like, what power can Satan have against an all-knowing, all-powerful uh, God? Yet, he is given some free reign, and there's, like, temptations and whatnot, sin and mm, piety and good deeds and bad deeds and whatnot. So, it is interesting. Uh, very similar, uh, this Eru. Uh, Iluvatar, very similar to the, to the to the concepts of Bible. Obviously, we can bring in the discussion about allegory at this point as well, because Tolkien obviously um, did not like allegory, and he clearly states in many places uh, through his interviews and letters that um, his work is not intended intended to be an allegory to the Christian faith. It's it's not there to like uh, promote the Christian message. It's really not. It is there for it, it's it's a it is just a unique its own thing. Uh, the the Valar uh, or the my sorry the Ainu initially in the earlier drafts are called gods and that is set a concept really against um Christianity, it being there is one God and not 
multiple gods like in the um, uh, Hindu faiths and, and, and all the other uh, polytheistic faiths. So, and, and also him expressly, uh, without any doubt, saying and stating that allegory is not his attempt. But uh, a person and his imagination, I guess, um, if, uh, whatever he's around, whatever he's reads, whatever he's really, really into, these things kind of always uh, seem to make their way into... Um, make their way into uh, uh, whenever you want to take on a creative um, endeavor, whenever you want to write a poem or a piece of literature uh, or a story, uh, whatever you have experienced, written, think about, and, uh, ponder on, imagine, it, it all affects your uh, creative process and I think um, um, those stories from the Bible and uh, that uh, those aspects of having this big bad uh, Satan, A.K.A. Melkor, um, is kind of a little allegorical because it it's so similar. But um, I should be careful though. Might be um, it might be similar, but. I guess it does not sound preachy because um, because here's the thing why it does not sound preachy. Uh, thinking of the whole work of Tolkien, uh, Silmarillion uh, obviously wasn't published in his lifetime, but uh, consider this one work, then Hobbit, the Lord of the Rings. Um, while the religion and all that, this God and gods and angels and whatnot. Are really really important and emphasized in the in the Silmarillion but they never really brought back in any big way in the Hobbit or the Lord of the Rings and that kind of um, that kind of is interesting because if his pur purpose was to do allegory or to like uh, promote Christian faith or, or, uh, or similarities to it he would have had these important figures um, of uh, good and evil uh, and everything in the, in the Lord of the Rings as well, but he does not. There's really, really few instances in the Lord of the Rings where you have uh, characters mention Valar and, and the land beyond, um, um, one being Farmy um, watching towards the window to, towards the west to Numenor and the, um, and the land beyond it. Um, so it, it is interesting and I think we can talk like all day about it and we'll still never be really really done so let's move on <clears throat> just one second I think somebody is locked out of the channel uh, how do I fix it? Alright, the next one. Um, another important passage that I saw uh, 
That was about the Valar only being able to hear in the beginning and could not see. Um, so the question comes um, when the music discord between Iluvatar and Melkor arises and then like Iluvatar is said to have um, rose his left hand and then he rise, uh, raises his right hand and then he stands up and sets down. So how uh, did the Valar know or how did the Ainur know that Eru was sitting, raising his hands, uh, bringing it down if they could not see because they're, they're only given sight much later uh, when he wants to show them what they were playing and what they made by their music. So that was interesting and I think it, it is all talking in metaphors of um, Eru raising his right hand or left hand or sitting down or they were perceiving him to smile, then they were perceiving him to be angry and I think they are all metaphors and it's not really sure that uh, it, it actually happened like that. Uh, so I don't think Iluvatar has like a body uh, that we have, that he has the facial expression, he's smiling, has 32 teeth, is, uh, has uh, five fingers, has a right hand and left hand, uh, doesn't make sense to me. So it is interesting. Uh, Ainur obviously do know Eru really well, but I think they too don't know everything about Eru. Uh, they know what they are told and they they were told first and then eventually shown because uh, they do not have sight in the beginning uh, next concept that we are introduced in um, the music of the Ainur is the children of Iluvatar uh, these children of Iluvatar are men and elves elves being the firstborn and uh, men being the uh, followers um, and uh, you know that three battles of bands we had between Melkor and Iluvatar and then he, like he raises his hands and like then he raises it a third time and that was the most beautiful music ever and I think third time when he raises his hand that is when the children of Iluvatar the um, first ones uh, the elves that's when they are born that is uh, when they come into existence Melkor being Melkor, um, kind of like Satan uh, from the Bible, um, desired to take um, these elves that, that Eru made and take them as his subjects, as his servants, slaves. <clears throat> he wanted to rule, he wanted to have lands, and he wanted to be called Lord. And that is the desire inside him. Again, the concept comes back to whatever was inside him came from... Iluvatar himself and it again goes back to the discussion of predestination and and free will and also uh, I um, Eru declaring that whatever you will do will only like aid my designs it will only like um, make my vision come true and you'll only be aiding even if you defy me so that that is interesting Another important uh, concept uh, we are introduced here is um, so not all the Ainur are equal. That is established. Melkor is the most powerful, and then after him is Manwe, 
and then we have some little alliances between some of them some are close and are uh, are allied to each other and are like brothers Manwe and Ulmo are really really like brothers and have similarities same goes for Aule and Melkor as well uh, they both like creating stuff um, Aule wanted to create stuff and so did Melkor uh, we'll get back to Aule later uh, another important thing we get like a little explanation of, of uh, the origins of rain clouds and snow um, this was an interesting passage when I read it the first time and it was interesting when I reread it uh, today as well um, um, that singing that was going on um, Ulmo being really really fascinated with water water was his thing his domain like Manwe's was the heirs and everything so Manwe was into air while Ulmo was really really into water he liked water and really really loved it it was most fair thing to him so when these two sang together that is when Melkor started another music against them trying to disrupt the skies as well as the waters and he sent all these evil fires towards them and those fires obviously causing the water to boil water boiling it rises up and becomes cloud and then it goes to the air so almost tango was the water is aided by this fire from Melkor and goes up into the skies of Manwe becomes clouds and then rain and then snow and it's fascinating how um, rain and clouds and snow are explained here with this fight going on on between these three brothers and their powers and just amazing so in in a way what Iluvatar said in the beginning and told Melkor that whatever you will do it will only aid and make things better than even you could imagine or and the way I ha had actually perceived him it this is exactly what happens the whatever discord Melkor was causing it was only making the individual Ainu's vision even better than they themselves perceived Ulmo never imagined rain or clouds or snow and Manwe never imagined clouds and these these um, uh, these things on the on the skies, but Melkor causing his discord, doing his own music, that caused both the visions of Manwe and Ulmo to be even more beautiful than they imagined. There is a little passage here that I would like to read. Then Ulmo answered, "Truly." Water is become now fairer. Water is become now fairer than my heart imagined. Neither had my secret thought conceived the snowflake, nor in all of my music was contained the falling of rain. I I will seek Manwe, that he and I may make melodies forever to my delight. Like as it says, water has become more fairer than my heart imagined, and. Uh, his secret thought in his secret thought he never conceived the snowflake what, what's a snowflake 
never imagined it. But it's only because of Melkor's uh, disrupt, uh, disrupting the music. It's only then these things came into being. Fascinating. Uh, give me one second or something with discord if anybody does want to join me on discord you can do so Just one second. You can enjoy the music for now if you want. Actually, no. Alright, so um, I'm back. Sorry about that. Just wanted to um, figure out this Discord thing. Alright, so the next passage is uh, another really fascinating one and I really really like it. Then there was unrest among the Ainu, but Iluvatar called to them and said, I know the desire of your minds that what ye have seen should verily be, not only in your thought, but even as ye yourselves are, and yet other, therefore I say, Ea, let these things be, and I will send forth into the void the flame imperishable, and it shall be at the heart of the world, and the world shall be, and those of you that will, that will, may go down into it, and suddenly the Ainur saw far off a light, as it were a cloud with the living heart of flame, and they knew that there was no vision only, but that Iluvatar had made a new thing, Ea, the world that is. 
Okay, this is the most interesting thing I found only uh, reading this uh, Silmarillion um, today. And I think this is the most fascinating thing you can find. Well, uh, not the most fascinating, but one of the most fascinating passages ever. Uh, that Ea. Ea is really interesting and it really, really jumped out at me because um, that is fascinating, isn't it? But maybe... Uh, not everyone knows why. Hey, Michi. Hey. Yeah, I don't know. It just, it just shows Yeah, that block, is the so weird. Um, it's weird. It just probably, maybe it's bugged out, but I just, I started, restarted Discord and it still didn't work. Yeah, that's a weird I don't know if that's happening, but I can see the text. Yeah, I delete the but channel. But yeah, no. <laughs> it, was, it was easy, fast. I think it was took longer to read the letter than it took to read <laughs> the Silmarian chapter. Because letter is chapter. like... It's, it goes over everything. That letter yeah. is wow. And kind of fascinating how people used to write long letters because um, I don't think phone was available to everyone or SMS or messages or, <laughs> or emails and they would write these long letters to each other. Yeah, and it's a bit more like the stream of consciousness of a writer for that letter because I just thought, oh gosh, like this, the cadence is different and the way that he speaks is different, obviously, than than the um, Silmarian portion. But um, I find that I think when I tried to read the Silmarian, I think I did read it in order like this before, but I don't remember where I stopped. So you did the music of the Ainur? I did. I so, did read it like a long time ago because uh, I re recognized the names, like yeah, the yeah, way yeah, yeah. like a Ea and Melchior and stuff like that. But I have like zero recollection because I probably read I tried to read the Silmarillion a very long time ago. Ah, uh, yeah, it it is kind of starts off uh, like the Bible I was uh, telling uh, on the on the video. It it does start mm -hmm. out like in that way. In it it doesn't start within the beginning, but it starts with there was Eru. And, and there uh, was a void, and yeah. there was like light, and. <laughs> yeah, now I'm at the part um, of uh, the flame imperishable and uh, th that is an interesting concept this flame imperishable I was reading uh, up on it a little bit and it, it appears that uh, in earlier versions of this tale the flame imperishable was the holy spirit but then he changed oh. it to flame imperishable instead of uh, calling it the holy spirit be a little less like religious sleep religion yeah. based I guess Exactly, and I think that is his main intent, to not make it into like a Christian uh, um, uh, Christian book, which only like Christians can relate to. <clears throat> and this was the passage I was reading. Then there was unrest among the Ainur, but Iluvatar called to them and said, I know the desire of your minds, that what ye have seen should verily be not only in your thought, but even as ye yourselves are, and yet other. 
Therefore I say, Ea, let these things be, and I will send forth into the void the flame imperishable, and it shall be at the heart of the world, and the world shall be, and those of you that will may go down with it. And suddenly the Ainur saw afar off a light, and as it, as it were a cloud with a living heart of flame, and they knew that this was no vision only, but that Iluvatar had made a new thing, Ea, the world that is. And I was really fascinated with this uh, word Ea, and it's uh, Sindarin, or has meaning in Sindarin, which means to be, or no, it's Quenya actually. So I was reading the etymology of the word, which is Ea, is the Quenya verb to be. And that is how the word uh, is world is made, and that kind of jumped out at me because I read a, something similar uh, while I was reading the Quran, and, mm -hmm. and in in it all in it it also goes um, kun fayakun, kun meaning be, and the translation being uh, when. He decrees a thing, he says to it only be, and it is. And mm -hmm. I thought, that's interesting. Let me dig a little deeper. Was Tolkien like a student of Arabic as well? Uh, and that's how he, because uh, I don't find uh, that concept of this word saying be, and it mm -hmm. is. It's not really in the Bible, so I've looked into it from all proof that I found there is no proof that Tolkien ever knew Arabic or, or, or read anything uh, like that at all. So it's an interesting coincidence that we find this Kun Fayakun, which is Ea, and mm -hmm. that was really interesting. So I went a little deeper and I found an Arabic translation of the Silmarillion. <laughs> and uh -huh. I searched it and I wanted to see what word uh, do they use uh, at this passage in, in the Arabic version of it. And when I found the found that passage and looked at the word, the word there was kun, which was the same word from the Quran, mm -hmm. and in uh, English it's ea. That was mm -hmm. really really interesting <laughs> little experiment or thought process. Mhm. Mm to see his process and everything, because I mean, this book was written quite a long time ago, but yeah, and I haven't read. A translation of the Quran in a very long time. <laughs> Did it in school, <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, me neither. Something stuck. Something just jumped up. Uh, I think I have read this "be" and "let it be" and and, and thing like that. Let's find more about but it. Did you read the Samarian in order, or is that I like I I read I read when I couldn't get it through the first time. I just thought, oh, this is kind of feels like very dull, or like <laughs> just read doesn't it doesn't read as as more as easily as the Hobbit or like Lord of the Rings. No, it's, it does not. It's, um, uh, it's a whole different thing. No, I read I mean, it in English. The those are dense too, in a different way. Uh yeah, they are. But the language here used is is much more formal and high language. You know what I mean? The words are yeah. like mm, talk it and comet and stuff like that and you're like, whoa. That that that's serious. It's no joke. It's no hobbit. There's no tralalali else. There's no second breakfast and there's, there's no, no like second dialogue. breakfast or eleven says or supper. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, another important thing I saw th in the beginning, um, the Ainur uh, were blind, so they could not see, they could only hear. 
but I found oh. something interesting um, that even if they could not see, but they perceived when Eru raises left hand, when Eru raise, raises his right hand, and when he stands up, when he smiles, and they perceive it. So that was interesting. It's only later that they are given vision after the third team. So that was interesting. But they do, that they had no sight. They had no sight in the beginning, and it doesn't make sense if they do not don't have sight. Then how can they know that uh, Iluvatari is raising his right hand or left hand, uh, his pinky or middle finger or whatnot? So that's that's the thing. And that was interesting. Uh, because uh, as I was uh, talking uh, before, uh, this story is basically how does. How does Silmarillion fit into the story of the Hobbit and the, the Lord of the Rings? It basically um, is, you know, those elves that went from Middle-earth to Valinor the first time? They learned some stuff. Then there are some of those elves which came back, the Noldors mainly, and they learned all this stuff, all these legends and story from the Valar themselves and the Maiar in Valinor about the creation, about uh, what was made, the songs, battles and whatnot. And then they brought all those stories back to the Middle-earth, and when Beleriand sank, those stories obviously, they passed uh, deeper into the Middle-earth, uh, uh, Eastern, uh, Rivendell and uh, uh, Lothlorien and stuff like that. So uh, Elrond, for example, in his library probably has the recall, uh, uh, records of these books in the original form. And then when Bilbo went to uh, live with, in Rivendell, he read the library and then he began translating because um, all these knowledge that uh, Elrond had from Valinor, uh, from the High Elves, uh, and from the Valar and Maiar themselves, it was in uh, other languages, it was in Elvish. And he translated them uh, to uh, um, the uh, common tongue. And that is how uh, this book, Cinema Reading, finally came uh, as it is now. So these are like fourth-hand stories, as told by Valar to the High Elves, then High Elves to the Middle Elves, and then Middle Elves to a Hobbit, and then from a Hobbit it, it comes to us. Mm. Another important passage that I read was, But when they desire to clothe themselves, the Valar take upon them forms such uh, forms, some of as male and some as a female, for that difference of temper they had even from their beginning, and it is but bodied forth in, in the choice of each, not made by the choice. Even as with us, male and female may be shown by the raiment, but is not made thereby. That was an interesting passage, and, and I didn't really quite get the, the temper thing. Yeah, I wasn't so clear on to why that was something that he wanted to point out specifically unless there's a difference unless there's some like specific kind of verving towards gender with them later like uh, the water yeah. I don't know the water is more male or something like that or I wasn't so yeah, sure that, 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 was, that is definitely uh, weird um, I'll obviously we'll get to the each um uh, individual uh, Vala or Maya later, but it was interesting that they um, clothed themselves and took forms of male and female, and the difference mentioned why because of the difference of temper they had, and I don't get it. Like, how does that make uh, one be a male or female? They have to have different tempers. 
didn't did not make too much sense to me. Yeah, I just I also since it, since the author is male and this is kind of like an anachronist, like a much more yeah. an era where females were not quite as independent as they are now. So yeah. I just don't really look that closely into the commentary because his Tolkien's comment, com, you know, I don't know what his thoughts on having as many. He didn't have that many female characters in the, the Lord of the Rings or, or the Hobbit. So the Samarian yeah. has quite a bit, but yeah. there's. And now is it saying that like <laughs> the gender specificity isn't as important here because they are? I, I yeah, I'm not really too sure what where he's going with that. Yeah, but eventually it does say that it's it's they they chose. Because when they landed into or wanted to enter Ea, that's uh, this thing that they made by their music. And once they enter inside it, they had to choose like a clothing, like a mask or a, or, or a raiment to uh, to be belonging to this world. And that's when they chose either a male form or a, or a female form. Uh, and saying the choice of each other, they each chose uh, which they wanted to be. So it's pretty interesting. He was like, but they're not really, but they already kind of knew if they were male or female. Yeah, as so they were like no before the beginning. Gender. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> a, a trans Vala. Like, <laughs> Maybe Melko is a trans Vala. I can't really pick. Sorry. Not happy. He doesn't seem to ever have like a female uh, vessel or whatnot, ever. It's always been male, right? I don't know. I don't really yeah. recall the rest of Samarian. So I didn't get through the whole thing. Are we going to be jumping around in order or are we reading it? In, um, um, uh, yeah, in... almost um, done. I think I'm the last passage now. Okay, this is really important as well. And they built lands and Melkor destroyed them. Valleys they delved and Melkor raised them up. Mountains they carved, and Melkor threw them down. Seas they hollowed, and Melkor spilled them. And naught might have peace, or come to lasting growth. For as surely as the Valar began a labor, so would Melkor undo it, or corrupt it. And yet their labor was not all in vain. And though nowhere, and in no work was their will and purpose wholly fulfilled. And all things were in hue and shape, other than the Valar had at first intended. And there it comes back to the same thing uh, talked earlier than uh, Iluvatar says to Melkor and thou Melkor wilt discover all the secret thoughts of thy mind and wilt perceive that they are but a part of the whole and tributary to its glory. So again the uh, um, discussion comes about predestination and free will. What we get from this first chapter in the Silmarillion is that Eru pretty much tells him, you, Melkor, do whatever the hell you want, basically. But whatever you do, know that that is how I intend it. So yeah. is Melkor making free choices, winging it, uh, uh, making new things, or is just it's a whole part of the story that's already already written? Yeah, because they they also kind of referred to the this they they formed and shaped the world through the vision that they already saw. Yeah, so it's not like they came up with 
forms that were new. They were just striving for some glimpse of what they had already seen. Exactly. Exactly. They see the whole history of the world unfold up till the coming of the uh, fourth age of man. Um, and then they start working on it. But I guess the, like Melkor's discord and whatever he did was just part of it. And I think yeah. he had like a role to play. And he just was just playing his role what was given to him uh, by by Iluvatar earlier I was saying when like Melkor wanted to sing his, his own song I used the uh, I, I said uh, Melkor just uh, wasn't happy with the group and he was like I want a solo I want to <laughs> sing a solo sorry Iluvatar just I don't like the other groups they are not singing good their voice <laughs> sucks I want to sing a solo come on let me <laughs> <laughs> I, as a non-musically inclined person who can't really sing like I just have to kind of go go with the description I'm like oh okay <laughs> I think I know what a cacophony is kind of just like a bunch of sounds sound like but I was like when things are in harmony I'm like I'm not so so clear or sure but visually and through the description I'm, I'm pushing my mind sure yeah Okay. What else? Um, I guess one of the things that I, it, this was difficult in the Lord of the Rings when I read it as like a young, I was pretty young when I read it, but this is another thing where I'm absorbing, but I don't know, remember all of the connections uh, as far as who's going to later play what role or the things that you're just telling me about yeah, this was Bilbo was collecting the Silmarillion. Like these kinds of things I think have been lost to time for me. Like whenever I tried to be the Silmarillion last. Yeah. Mm. There's just so many characters that I just, I'm just trying to put them together into some sort of chronology or like uh, connecting them to certain characters later on. That's all. And also I haven't reread The Lord of the Rings in quite some time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the, uh, the the first part kind of ends uh, by the coming of the um, or creation of the inhabitants of the children of Iluvatar will be the mm -hmm. elves, the firstborn, and Eldar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I also just wonder why they don't they don't ever actually really discuss the wars that happened. There was a comment that there yeah, was no, yeah there was the battles a... and the wars. Um, possibly because they were so esoteric or things just got built and then they were destroyed or the fact that the world isn't, the world that was created is not perfect. It seems like at the end he was commenting it was a bit more of a Frankenstein of like what they could get up and what wasn't destroyed. Yeah, uh, th yeah, th there is definitely this uh, one uh, line that says that the Valar did not tell everything to the elves about those wars. Uh, that happened before the coming of elves, and because I guess they were too terrible or or something, and maybe it hurt them that whatever they made got destroyed every time by this uh, solo artist. Yeah. And also when they were taking form, another important was like Melkor also tried to take a form, as the he saw in the vision, but like when he tried it, it just it was only like smoke and fire. 
<laughs> like interesting because of his temperament again yeah he's yeah definitely his temperament thanks holly for suggesting these and putting it together I'll, yep. I'll finally get be getting through this Omarion. Woo! Yeah, the first <laughs> chapter done. Uh, next, uh, we can do uh, Valacuenta, which okay. is the account of the Valar and Maiar according to the Lord of the Eldar. It's not that long, actually. Cool. Okay. Thanks for watching, everyone. Bye now. Oh, we're on Twitch? Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> okay. I didn't know that. <laughs>